0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: This is Metal Mike. This is Mojo Mimi from KSYFM.com and DailyBoomRadio.com. And we are your
0: co-hosts for an awesome conversation with the very talented Todd Kearns. We talk bands and projects that Todd's involved with, like Slash, Toof, and the Bruce Kulick Band. his early influences are and we end it all with a righteous kiss round table we contemplate what if ace was invited back to kiss in 1987 stay tuned for after the episode where i do my first acts and you shall receive we've got a listener that writes in with a question comment about qr3 by quiet riot check this thing out well, Todd, welcome to the '80s glam metal cast, and also let me welcome Mojo Moomie, a special co guest with me here. Go co-host, let's get it right. How's it going, gentlemen? Great, right, How are you, man? Awesome. Excellent. This is great with you guys here. So, Todd, we got we got some questions for you, man. You ready to answer some questions? Hit me. All Hit right. me with it. Well, hey, man, let's let's break the ice. What have you been up to during your downtime with all this COVID stuff going um, on?
2: You know, at first it started off. You know. I don't know, it was like acclimating to uh, a different gravity, you know, where we weren't touring or doing shows. And then I sort of went into this mode of liking it more than I should because mm-hmm. I don't take time off. I just did the math. The last time I was on stage was March 14th. So that's uh, over five months off or, or coming up. on Yeah, it's something like that. So I just said to my wife, I said, you realize it's September 14th, that's six months of no shows. I go, that's really bizarre. Wow. Um, and I think that's pretty universal because the next day around the 14th or something like that was when they, they shut the world down. So, um, but, but I have been, you know, went into a, into a mode of writing and recording with multiple projects that had sort of kept me uh, really busy and really um, satisfied. I suppose it sort of scratches that itch that, that, totally, like, uh, is very apparent by not being on stage night after night after night or as often as possible, you know what I
1: mean? hmm
2: Yeah, totally.
0: What kind of projects yeah, are you so working yeah. on? Like, what 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 kind of stuff are you working on? Like, a solo album? What
2: kind of material? Um, I've always been chipping away at a solo album. I don't know if... Back in 2013, I made a solo album that was predominantly acoustic music, which was completely, like, aside from everything else that I do because I actually love... Grabbing an acoustic guitar and just randomly showing up at places and 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 you know making a bunch of racket for hours on end. So that turned into a record. That <laughs> turned into a record, and I love it so much that I, I wanted to do it again. So I've been chipping away at that. Um, in the meantime, uh, my, my one of my side bands, Took, which is uh, a Canadian. It started as a Canadian tribute band, which is the weirdest thing. It's myself and Brent Fitz from Slash's band, who also plays with me and Bruce Kulik's band. Um, We're both Canadian, and we grew up on a lot of crazy regional Canadian music. And we started doing charity shows in Canada, and we had decided to just do all Canadian rock from, like, Loverboy and April Wine and Rush. You know, it was a long list of stuff that started off. We released two albums worth of just like tribute music, like an homage to some of our favorite songs. And on the second album, we ended up writing one song. And now we are, well, we just wrote, I think, our fifth song yesterday. So it's been a slow, um, well, not that slow. I mean, because we've actually been tracking as we go along. Some of it remotely, some of it together, depending on who's around and who's away. And then uh, Slash and I have been getting together. And then Bruce Keelick and I have been knocking heads so it's a number of different projects that you know for me it's been really really healthy to be uh, you know you know having to be creative and having to get uh, and really testing my own home studio uh, skills too which to be honest are, are super lacking because there's unusually uh, I usually hand it over to a grown-up who knows what the hell he's doing <laughs> 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 so uh, but but I', I you know, I, I, I really do enjoy that side of things. So it's been a lot of fun. I also did a side project uh, that one of the first things that's coming out is this side project with myself, uh, Jeremy Asbrock, and Matt Starr from uh, Ace Fraley's band. Mm-hmm. We do a side project with this young guy named Brandon Fields, who kind of came out of nowhere and sort of said to us, uh, What do you guys think about doing this project? And, and Jeremy was, you know, vouched for him. And I thought, Hey, I'm sitting at home. I'm, I'm really enjoying this kind of like recording at home thing. And we just started knocking ideas around. The next thing I knew, we had a full album worth of material. And then Brand, it's Brandon's project. It's called Minefield. And he went out and got a deal with Golden Robot Records. And, uh, and it's, I think the first single drops, um, mid to late September. So it, it's, it's pretty fascinating how, you know, these, a big door closes, but the windows always seem to be open, you know, I mean, there's always something else to kind of yeah. dig into.
1: That's super cool. And starting from the beginning, Todd, who was influential on you picking up the bass or even singing? Um, well, Kiss is always
2: first and foremost. Um, I think the Beatles obviously goes in there. I As a little kid, my parents had records like the Beatles and uh, Elvis yeah. and, and that kind of stuff, and it sort of became... You know, the four major food groups of rock and roll, <laughs> Buddy Holly and stuff like that. And uh, oh, yeah. I always say, though, when I was a kid, it, it was weird. Uh, I had this weird thing where I looked at the Beatles and I looked at Kiss and it really didn't feel like anything a normal mortal person could do. Do you know what I mean? Like the Beatles felt like they came from Valhalla <laughs> and Elvis came <laughs> yeah. from mm-hmm. another planet. Mm-hmm. And then Kiss were actual superheroes, you know, breathing fire and drooling blood and flying. And, you know, I, it, it didn't really connect with me that we could actually do what they're doing until later on. It wasn't until, like, bands like The Who, which led to a lot of punk rock, um, yeah. where picking up a guitar made me kind of think, hey, I think I could do this, you know? And then I realized once you picked up the guitar, you look back on the things that, like the Beatles and the Stones and the... Um, And and all those things that and kiss especially that I thought, you know, were things I couldn't do. That you started to kind of find yourself going like, oh, okay, I I could do this, and uh, and that's sort of where, um, for me, in a lot of ways, uh, it, it sort of starts with these really big inspirations. But inspirations in that I love the music, but actually picking up the guitar was a little later on by bands like seeing like more like you know. Punk rock bands actually made
0: me think like I can do that. I think. Oh wow! I, sounds. I know. I already know we're all Kiss fans. All right, so let's just put that out there. But I think you know right. Mojo and I are pretty fascinated by the whole Bruce Kulick band thing. How did this
2: pairing come together? Um, well, that's actually really interesting because uh, I've, I've known Brent Fitz, the drummer and Slash's uh-huh. band. He played in Union, Union. with Bruce. Yeah. Uh, you know, post post Kiss for for Bruce but I've known Brent for probably 30 years in some fashion or another. And wow. uh, he's always been, a you know, really good to me and a big champion of like, get Todd to do this, get Todd to do that. And then around uh, BK uh, 3 Bruce was getting ready to put out the third album, his third solo album. And uh, we got together, uh, we actually did an episode, I was just talking about this a minute ago, talk, we did an episode of Gene Simmons Family Jewels uh, when we did a CD release party at the Cat Club on Sunset Strip in Hollywood. And Nick got up. Nick Simmons got up and sang the song he sings on the record. Most of the Kiss guys were there, hiding up in the dressing room. And it was, you know, it was a big night. And uh, about a week or two later, we were both playing in Slash's in band. It just sort of, you know, spiraled, as those Hollywood things do, into us playing a Slash. But uh, that was in 2010. We, we did that uh, CD release party. And then, you know, years go by, and... Um, the Kulik Brothers was the initial uh, approach about these Kiss crews. Kiss crew seven, I guess it was uh, yeah. Bob and Bruce, and we put together stuff from Bruce's era, stuff from Bob's era. I played bass in that show, and then uh, yeah, and then we did the next couple. We brought in Zach Throne from Corey Taylor from Slipknot's band, oh, okay. uh, and he's playing. He plays bass in that. That's the funny thing about Zach and I. We both play bass, or we both play guitar, depending on the gig we're doing. <laughs> Zach's actually an amazing guitar player. If you see the new Corey Taylor single that's out, that's him playing solo in, in, in the video. And Black uh, Eye Blue, Black Eye Blue, yeah, and he uh, and he uh, plays bass and sings all the Gene stuff, and I play rhythm guitar and sing all the Paul stuff with Bruce. So it's uh, and, I, and again, and again, um, uh, Zach's one of those guys I've known since '92 in one fashion. We, we just kind of met in 92 and lost track of each other, but we kind of always crossed paths. Um, but yeah, so it, it's a really weird how, I, I guess the kiss cruise is actually the instrumental um, thing that keeps bringing it back together. Cause it sort of was like a Bob and Bruce thing. It's going to be fun one off thing. And that spun into the Bruce
1: Kulick thing. And, and that's happened several times since. How cool is Bruce Kulick? The guy is a super down to earth guy. I, I met him, man, probably three or four years ago. And, um, he was with Grand Funk Railroad. They played here, and right. got got the chance to meet him, and just just one of the most coolest guys you could ever meet, dude. I, I it's so funny because the very first
2: time I saw Kiss was in 1985, March something 1985. I know the date, but it's escaping me at the moment. Um, on the Animalize tour, so um, wow. This 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 girl I know was at the same concert a long time ago, and she sent me photos of just, like, the show, the very show, and there's a picture of, like, the band on stage, and you can see the audience in the pit, and I I send it to Bruce, I go, this is our first picture together. (laughs) I'm somewhere in that giant pit of people. (laughs) I'm, like, 14 years old or something. So it's a big deal to me, because Kiss was a massive deal to me, and I was, I was that kid at school who was still buying Kiss records when it was kind of, like, like, you know, other guys weren't buying them as much anymore, you know what I mean? So, I, I knew exactly who was in the band, so when, like, you know, Vinny was there, and then Mark was there, and then Bruce was there, there was a whole period where there was a lot of confusion on the market. Bruce, you know, because Bruce essentially was filling in for Mark at first, um, but when they came to town, I knew who Bruce Kulick was. I think I'd probably even done, you know, pre-internet sort of search about, like, Bruce Kulick from Piper... And, you know, with Michael Bolton and he's played with this, it's a meatloaf, you know, and, um, so all these years later to kind of find myself standing in a hockey arena, watching him play to suddenly being on stage together, whether it's the cat club or a kiss cruise, I kind of stuff never lost on because I'm a big rock and roll fan, um, Enthusiast, I think is the word. Fan makes it sound a little bit scary or something. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yeah, like I might hurt somebody. <laughs>
1: um,
2: but yeah, no, it, it's a big deal. And he's an amazing guy and, uh, he has relocated to Las Vegas. So I'm in Vegas. Rich is in Vegas. Zach's exactly in Vegas. We're all in Vegas. This band's all in Vegas. So, um, we, we sort of split our time between here and Los Angeles, but, um, yeah, we're all around. So it just, it's just kind of turned out. It's really unfortunate that the COVID thing happened because we were kind of really getting going on getting some ideas together, and then you know the COVID thing screwed a lot of things up. I mean, not just jamming with Bruce, but it screwed things up with uh, you know with, with with everything else in the in the whole wide world. So, but it would have been really nice to have, have gotten a real head uh, leg up on on some recording uh, between the four of us. Plus, it, it really screwed up the upcoming Kiss cruise, which was sort of the next. Uh, the next thing we were going to do, which is coming up, well, would have been coming up around Halloween, but it's not happening this year, as as you know.
1: Damn.
2: Yeah.
0: Todd, um, you're you're touching on something that that I was thinking about. Was how do you this is probably no easy task, but how do you go into writing for something like this? Because there's a lot of expectations, right? Like it, it's got to kind of sound like Kiss, but then it can't. It really shouldn't sound like. I mean, I mean, is, there's got to be some conflict on how you approach writing for something like this. What, what's the thought process?
2: That's that's actually a really good question. It would be really weird if we made a reggae album. Which... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Every I, little really thing gonna that. be alright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's predominantly, well,
1: yeah, dubstep and reggae. Right? Kiss did a disco album, so you can...
2: <laughs> that is true. That is true, although, you know, I still argue it's, it's a great
1: album. I really love that it album. Is. Love it is. No, it is. Love it. Um,
2: but, you know, honestly, it, it, it sort of comes from the the top down, and I, I sort of I, I sort of don't make him, but I sort of think that there has to be Bruce has to lead that fight, you know what I mean? He has to do... The, the riffs and everything have to come from him, and we'll build songs around that. And because his, you know, his signature is so huge on records like, well, actually, on all of those records, his, his uh, imprint is, is, is larger than we even know. But especially on things like Carnival and Revenge, when oh, Bruce, yeah. you know, became the, you know, the, the when it became a really hard rock band, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Obviously, things like Hot in the Shade and and uh solemn and all uh, and crazy and it's, all those records are, are, are essentially hard rock records but it kind of let go of the uh radio rock chains and went full-on hard rock band you know what i mean so by revenge it was like uh it was a return to this heavier rock band that we all kind of grew up on so that's kind of the that's kind of the realm we try to live in you know what i mean like i think as far as like trying to come up with original ideas, I feel like they should be somewhere in that area. Mm -hmm. We are, we're all big fans of the entire catalog. I mean, I, we're all very well invested. Brent Fitz played in Gene Simmons, solo band, uh, this last time around. And, uh, you know, so we're really well invested in, you know, all the original records and all the, uh, records that followed. So, but I think that, you know, because Bruce is the guitar player to me, it's kind of like, well, he should dictate how, how it should sound and where we should go. So it's kind of like, right. it should be a big rock record as far as I'm concerned. And that's kind of where I'm, where I'm directing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. The awkward silence. Uh, Mojo, go ahead. I'll
1: cut all these, I'll cut all these, oh, cut sure. all these go-aheads out. I, I swear. Have you ever, um, have you ever forgot for whatever reason, the words to a song while you're on stage or a bass line in a song while you're playing live? I mean, I was a I was a lead singer in a band years ago, and constantly forgot words. The songs I wrote. Oh, dude, I I don't know what it is. Like, I
2: I can sing like I don't know, cold gin right now, you know, without provocation, just sing it top to bottom, no problem. But there are songs that I wrote that I'll be on stage in front of a full crowd, going like, "Oh, dude, what?" I'll be singing the second verse first, or something weird like that, and be like, oh, huh. it's just it's a yeah. classic thing of like. But I think it's really good to do that because I think it shows the world that this isn't on tape. This is happening right now. (laughs) You know, in a lot of ways, in the modern world, um, everybody's got a teleprompter these days. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you're at, I don't know, Aerosmith or Rod Stewart or whatever, like all those big-name dudes all have a teleprompter or teleprompters scattered about the stage. I don't think they necessarily stand there and stare at them. Like one who's staring at the teleprompter, it's just sort of like if you're starting to get kind of like you know coming out of the guitar solo, and it's kind of like, oh, what's the next verse? And you look down and go, oh, there it is, boom, billions of people or whatever you know. And I think that that's yeah. very helpful, but I haven't never had that uh, that luxury.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, it man.
2: would it would be nice, but at the same time, it's kind of like, what are you going to do?
1: You know, right.
2: especially when you wrote the goddamn song. I mean, i feel oh, like, oh my god. Yeah. I've seen enough I've seen enough like, you know, big name groups. And one of the things that I always point out is that on um on uh the Animalize live concert in Detroit, Paul Family sings I think he sings the fourth verse twice. Like there are four verses in that song and you can go and check it now, but he I think I think he sings twelve o'clock you gotta rock twice instead hmm. of like you know, whatever getting late, I just can't wait. Whatever that verse is, I, I, I'm quite sure. So I never thought about it until about the 900th time I'd watched that concert and thought, like, <laughs> hey, wait a second, he sings that same verse twice. And uh, that's just it the just nature of, you know, yeah, you can you check it out. If you, if, you wow. play, if you play enough shows in your life, uh, all the spinal tap things come true. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're going to break strings, your amp's going to go down, you're going to trip and fall. And I've done all that stuff. I split my pants. Uh, you, know? you know, far more embarrassing things than just forgetting the words. You know, so um, you know, and I, I think the that's part of the uh, part of the uh, the trick is just kind of getting comfortable on stage in front of an audience and being able to roll with the changes that are happening. Because sometimes you're singing you're doing whatever, and you look over and go, do I know that dude? He looks familiar. And then you go to sing the thing, and, you, and you're completely not in the game anymore, and you're like, oh,
1: damn, what's the next verse? But the uh, same, That same thing happened to me in Des Moines years ago. We would always do a Metallica medley, and we'd start it off with their version of Am I Evil, and then go into Seek and, Seek and Destroy, and then right before the guitar solo, we'd bust into For Whom the Bell Tolls, and there was a guy that was up front, and right before our, I started, I came in with the first verse. This uh, guy starts screaming the second verse, totally screwed up the whole song for me oh, I sang, I sang that whole second verse and tried to go back to the first verse. No, it didn't happen at all. So, no, I, so I, it's you. weird.
2: It's weird the things that can derail. A song. You know, there's been a couple times on stage where, you know, someone has the wrong tuned guitar, you know, you're using certain different tunings on songs, and someone picks up the wrong guitar and starts the song, and it's a total train wreck. But that's,
1: <laughs> you know,
2: it's going to happen. Yeah. It's, you know, it's bound to happen that, uh, you know, if you do enough shows, if you do 100 shows, at least one of them is going to have some problems. Good chance all of them are going to have some kind of problem. Guitar string broken. Uh, amp went down, you know, whatever, all that kind of stuff. That's that's bound to happen. That's part of the part of the charm of doing a, a, a live rock and roll show. Unless you're right. lucky enough to, to be able to do it like a theater performance, where it's exactly the same thing every single night. But even then, they they have things that go wrong and things that act up. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, mm-hmm. right.
0: Well, speaking of had, having to learn like a lot of lyrics and a lot of songs, what was it like learning the songs for for the the Bruce Kulick band? Because obviously you're a Kiss fan, you know these songs, but I mean at this point you've got to know the lyrics verbatim, you got to know the riffs. Um, was it challenging? Was it easy? How did it go?
2: Well, it's challenging too because we we worked a lot of the songs into medleys because mm-hmm. there was so much material we wanted to tackle, but it was sort of like you know. When you really actually did the math, we were doing like something like thirty-five to forty songs in a set, or something ridiculous like that. Um,
1: wow. and that would have been like a
2: four-hour show, or something. So, yeah. so, we started we started to kind of cut it down. Um, a lot of it was was you know easy for us to learn because we're all such fans. Um, but at the same time, you, learning a medley is a different thing. You have to learn how it flows, and we go to this, we go to that. Um, at the same time, you kind of forget how challenging. 80s and 90s kiss is because Paul's at the peak of his ability mm-hmm. singing. You know, I fight hell to hold you. You know, the, oh, wow. the, the vocal's so high, it's bananas. You know, and uh, but it, you know, it was really fun and it was really really exciting to be able to do that because it was such a uh, like I say, it was such a, a tribute and an homage to the to these the songs that we loved and we grew up on. Made sense to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's funny we, before we called you you know obviously we're planning this out we're talking a little bit but we we got chatting about a lot of stuff and one thing that I we both were talking about is that you know it's nice to hear these uh, some of these 80s songs live again because you haven't heard them either ever or you haven't heard them in you know 20-30 years and you know I know you know Paul Stanley's voice, he still has a voice, but I don't think he really has the voice to do that 80s stuff anymore, you know? And, and one thing that I kind of envisioned, I don't know if it would ever happen, but maybe when the dust settles with Kiss, I mean, I'd love to see somebody like Paul go on a storyteller's type of a tour, you know, and bring somebody like you. And, you know, he can still tell the stories behind the songs. He's still a great showman. He's a great player. Uh, just because he can't hit those super high notes anymore, you know what I mean? I still think the songs... Have great value. They sound great live. It's nice to hear them modernized in a modern setting. So, I mean, I think there's people would be interested in something like that.
2: Well, it's it's funny that you say that because I, like I said, as a fan who grew up with the band from the very early days all the way through, it's been interesting to me to learn how many people found Kiss post makeup. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of like kids who thought of Kiss with no makeup as just another hard rock band of all the hard rock bands that were around. Cinderella, take your pick, of all the rock bands that were around. And Kiss right. was just this another not 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 just another band, but they were, you know, for all intents and purposes, on on the headbanger's ball, they were another long haired rock and roll band. Mm-hmm. So I think that they uh I, I'm always kind of taken aback by how many people are like, you know, lifted up forward. It's sort of their era. Mm-hmm. And I we've really learned that when we started doing this Bruce Kulick, um uh, stuff because it was like you know, there's a part of you that kind of goes look I'm an invested fan I I love this stuff and when we're doing no 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 or um, take take your pick I mean hell or high water or any of these songs I'm thinking yeah well I love these songs but is the I, I know that that uh, the Kiss themselves don't play these songs because a, mo- a giant populace wants to hear God of Thunder and shout out loud and rock and roll night and Detroit Rock City um, so they don't really kind of delve into that sort of distant past. I um, when we do it. People go crazy. Like I saying, uh-huh. people are like grown men in tears. You know, it's it's, it's amazing yeah. to see because people think first of all they they never they've never seen this song played live because a it probably wasn't played live or b they haven't heard it played live in a long time. So we we did a lot of stuff that has never been we've done a lot of stuff that's never been performed live, including the Carnival of Souls stuff because uh, they would never even have the opportunity to perform live by Kiss. Right and and then um and then he goes all the way down the line. Like there's a lot of songs from all those records that just they didn't get performed live because how gigantic the Kiss catalog is. Like even stuff like King of the Mountain or I've Had Enough or any of those songs from the Animalized Asylum kinda of era, some of the songs got performed uh once or twice but then didn't pop up again. And then the tours, you know, just wrapped up.
1: Under the Gun was another
2: one. Under the Gun Under the Gun they, they definitely played that for a while. I remember hearing it on like Animalize and but they probably cut it loose by probably by Asylum or Crazy Nights. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and once again, hey, it's time time to brown nose, man. You do a killer job. I mean, you do the songs justice. And and you know, I wanted to say Good earlier, time, I should've you. I should have added this in, but I went back and I listened to some of the your cover albums and freaking Aldo Nova man you had it was like spot on you sounded exactly like him but it, I mean it was it sounded like a current version of that song that, that was so killer but even with the Kiss stuff like you have it you have your own voice but you can really capture the spirit of the songs that you cover so uh, great job man great job
2: well I appreciate that I mean like you say it's like we're not trying to do an impersonation really it's sort of like it, it really is like it's 2020 and we're trying to play the Kiss songs how we play them and you kind of have to do them justice. We're pretty religious about making sure that they're played correctly and we're not, uh, you know, selling them short at all because that would be unforgivable in my opinion. So, um, that means you gotta go, okay, this song is really crazy high, so here we go. <laughs> I gotta <laughs> stick it as high as I can. That's all you can do.
0: Well, guys, I think we've reached the point where we have are going to have our KISS roundtable discussion. And strangely enough, you know, the, the topic of, of, of discussion mostly was Bruce Kulik tonight. But we're going to throw a curveball here. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what if Ace was allowed back in KISS around 1987 through 1989. So basically your thought process here is, is you want to picture like uh, Freely's Comet morphing with the Crazy Nights album and you know maybe the second sighting and the other albums he's done mixing with Hot in the Shade. So Mojo, why don't you start us off? Do you think this would work? What kind of band would Kiss be with Ace in the 80s? Would they be as heavy? What are your thoughts on something like this? Yeah, Ace
1: was back in the band around 87. I can see it being almost like it was with Bruce. I don't know. I think it'd have a little bit more edge to it than the polished uh, synthesizer that you, the sound that you got out of it. Mm-hmm. But I definitely, I don't know. It'd definitely be different. Obviously, their their styles of playing are are different. So, I think yeah, it'd I would. I still think it'd be good. But. I was going to say too because I think that Bruce
2: was sort of brought in just as Mark was brought in at a time when everybody was looking for an Eddie Van Halen or Mm a Randy Rhoads or a George Lynch or a a Shredder 80s guitar player. Um, And Ace sort of was more from that school of Jimmy Page and, well, essentially Ace (laughs) Frehley. No no one else plays like Ace Frehley because he's Ace Frehley. And he's one of my all-time favorite guitar players ever. Um, But it's certainly, when you try to think about that in in, in context, because obviously uh, those... Uh, for these comments, second, citing those records, Ace still plays like Ace does. But he did sound in his own way a lot more like Ace, like classic Ace sounding, than probably Kiss sounded like classic Kiss in a way. Like, yeah. I think the evolving of things into, like you're saying about Ron Nevison's production on Crazy Nights is essentially very slick and mm-hmm. a very on purpose, you know, intentional move to try and. I would assume, intentional to try and get
1: on mainstream radio and... Uh, very, very Bon Jovi-ish.
2: Yeah, and, and bands like Ron Nevison had done Heart, that massive era of Heart that they had done, and, and Aussie's Shot in the Dark, or uh, Killer of Giants, or whatever the hell that, that album was called. Ultimate um, Sin. So, Ultimate Sin, thank you. Um, so, a very slick, big-sounding you know sounding recordings, and uh, an a sort of, you know, kind of Hung out in his Ace Braley, uh rock and roll, very New York sounding uh, kind of thing. So I think it w- it's possible to imagine it together, but it would be markedly different because of like trying to imagine second sighting songs on Crazy Nights nice is like, hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> it, it would be rad because as a Kiss fan, we would all have been going like, it's always awesome to hear that Ace song on a KISS record, mm-hmm. no matter which record you're listening to. It's like during, uh, say, Unmasked. You know, it's kind of like, some of that was another attempt to be a lot sort of poppier sounding, I suppose. But Ace Fraley's song has always sounded kind of like Ace Fraley's song to me in a way. You know what I mean, like, Talk to Me and all that kind of stuff, yeah. even though it's slightly poppier for Ace, it still kind of sounded like Ace, you know, throwing down a straight up three chord rock and roll song it, it's hard to imagine them taking Bruce Kulik out now because of his stamp on those records But it's mm-hmm. hard, hard for me
0: well here let me throw this at you guys this is where some of my thoughts were coming from so of course we know that like you said Kiss was looking for shredders in the 80s and you know Eddie Van Halen type stuff but let's think Of some of the other guys that were out in the 80s. I mean, Angus Young was still rocking out pretty hard in the 80s. ACDC was still at Headbangers Ball. Even Jimmy Page Mm -hmm. kind of was out there doing Outrider. Remember when he did a solo album? So, and I think that's the way Ace comes across. Like we said, you know, he's not a Mm -hmm. shredder, he's not one of those guys. Uh, Another thing to think about is. If you look at Crazy Nights, it's not one of my favorite albums, I'm going to be honest with you. And I would love to see some of those songs extracted and put in, like, Into the Night or Rock Soldiers on there. I think that would add to the album, and I think overall would add to the popularity of the band. I think the band would be looked at back again. Once again, no respect. I love Bruce Kulick, and I love his, like you said, his stamp on those albums, but... I think from a marketing standpoint, from uh, all that kind of stuff. So, so those are some of my thoughts. I, I that's the way I'm envisioning it. You know, uh, we're bringing that's, somebody that's back. That's yeah. really
2: interesting. When you, yeah, when you put it that way, it's actually really interesting. And I think in a lot of ways, it'd be really interesting to hear a record like uh, Crazy Nights remixed with perhaps less oh yes. and you know just a lot more kind of a straight up rock and roll record. Then I think you might be onto something. But uh yeah, I mean, obviously. Ace was still in the band, I think he was... Uh, I think Ace was still playing ball at that stage of his career, too. I think everybody wanted to kind of get on the radio, and I think everybody wanted to try and... Uh... ACDC is a very interesting parallel, because ACDC never seemed to ever play ball. You know, he <laughs> always said, we're ACDC, and we're going to be ACDC. So they made every record just how they wanted to make that record. Um, not to say that Kiss was sort of, like, bending in any way, but I think that they, you know, they 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 definitely, you know like that whole 80s period for all rock bands, because there was a time where, say, ACDC, or, or, and later on, like, the new wave of heavy metal, br- br- you know, like uh, Priest and Maiden and bands like that, I don't think they ever really ever considered being on the radio. You know what I mean? So I don't think that any of those bands really played ball until hard rock became a, a uh, what it became in the 80s, which became a viable... Uh, sellable thing, you know what I mean? Like, no one foresaw, you know, mainst- yeah, well, that's true too, yeah. But I think even Turbo Lover is an attempt to try and cash in on, yeah, um, probably a Don Jovi and uh, Cinderella mm-hmm. and Poison or whatever mainstream acts were, were really blowing up on rock radio that were quote unquote heavy metal bands, you know what I mean? Or, or what they now refer to as hair metal, which I always kind of think is a bit silly because, um. Well, everybody had hair.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: Everybody's yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All bands had long hair back then. That's kind of the way it was. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it would be really interesting. And I think you're probably absolutely correct, because what Ace would have brought to the table would have been what Ace brings to the table. And they would have just, okay, well, then we're going to do Crazy Nights and, uh, you know, Uh, Hell or High Water, and then the next song is Rock Soldiers, and then you know like a Paul song, Gene song, Ace song, and that's kind of the way it would have
0: went. You know, you wonder too, was the band, how do I want to put this? Would he have been allowed to be open to do things? Because if you look at, you know, if you look at Crazy Nights, every single is Paul Stanley. Also, could be that Gene didn't have the strongest material at that point. I mean, would they have? Would Ace have a single in a '80s Kiss? That's, a, that's another
2: question. Well, that's very interesting to consider, isn't it? Because I don't know if that was a conscious effort in a lot of ways, because I still feel like Gene was... I mean, the, I like a lot of Gene's material from that era as well, but yeah. it almost felt like they kind of... Maybe it became sort of, like, important to have a focal point. Yeah. Or maybe Paul Stanley looked good in yeah. terms of, like, the other front men of rock bands at that time. Paul kind of carried a certain amount of... Well, I mean, he was sort of, the you know, in a lot of ways, the... Forerunner of all that In a lot of ways But oh, yeah. um, but he did you know, Good looking dude In great shape Singing his ass off It makes sense That he was up front um, But you're right I don't know But again You know Ace Fraley You know Ace's songs To me were always Kind of like Integral parts Of all the records Whether they were like I don't know Shock me is necessarily What you'd consider The hit single Off of Love Gun <laughs> But it was definitely Important to me yep. You know what I mean
0: yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's, just, it's always interesting to kind of play those what ifs. Obviously, you know, there's no going back in time, but sometimes you do. You look at those things and it's like, okay, you know, Ace is doing an album, Kiss is doing an album. Could those albums have morphed together
2: and what would it have looked like? So,
0: like I said, it's always it's fun to, to think about, you know?
2: That'd be a lot of fun, too, actually. And now you've got me thinking, I'm going to go listen to all those records back to back and imagine them how they would work together. Mm-hmm. That'd be really fun. Well, hey,
0: real quick, why don't we
2: uh, why don't we say
0: uh, why don't we extract uh, t- pick the song that tell me I want to know from you guys what Crazy Night song would you eliminate? <laughs> I'd, be, I'd love to hear it. Oh boy! Oh wow! Um, That's a
1: tough one. Good Girl Gone Bad. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Not that not that I hate it because there's not too many kids' songs that I don't like. Hey, yeah, if I'm listening to a bunch of kids songs or listen, pulling out records or pulling out CDs or something, there might be one song that, yeah, maybe I'll skip that one for now because I've heard it a million times. Like, I don't know, rock and rock and roll night or hard luck woman or yep. that. Um, but I think if I were to skip a song on crazy, on um, uh, crazy nights, it'd probably good girl. Be good girl gone bad. Mm-hmm. Todd, Interesting. What do you think? Oh man,
2: that's, that's really tough. That's, that, that's really tough for me bang bang you maybe i'm just going to go off the top of my head I, <laughs> yeah. Again, it, it's more yeah it's really hard for me to think i'm, I'm in sort of the same boat as, as mojo where it's kind of like well there's you know i've listened to the albums a gazillion times and you know it's more a case of like ah, i've heard that one a million times it doesn't mean that in in a, <laughs> in a couple in a couple of years from now i might actually actively seek out that particular song it just means that i've heard the album so many times that i Eh, you know, you kind of don't need to hear that one or whatever. But uh, you know, I'm I'm sort of that way with a lot of the more mainstream Kiss songs, anyway. Cause as I am with a lot of same mainstream Led Zeppelin songs. You know, I don't need to hear rock and roll by Led Zeppelin again in my life. But mm-hmm. whenever it comes right. out on the radio, I go, I'm still go like, this sounds great. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but you know, I, you know, rock and roll All night is one of those songs that we, where we as fans kind of go, yeah. I mean, it's it's a given that you have to hear the song, but I don't know if we actively seek it out to listen to it. No uh but we all love that song because it's it's a great song yeah
0: you know? yeah definitely
2: yeah i'm with you on bang
0: bang you that would be gone and, I, and i'm not a big fan of no 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 i don't know i just doesn't
2: do anything for me it was a fun one to play oh i'm sure that whole <laughs> that whole intro always with
1: loved, the guitar solo i always love to hear eric carr me too his, his background vocals in that song
0: yeah yeah, that, that's cool. You know, and what that's, that's, what,
2: underutilized they, yeah, that, and that's
0: what they Utilize voice. Yeah, and that's one thing we didn't really ever mention because let's face it, we never got a lot of good output from uh Eric Carr together with Ace Freely, right? Because, you know, they really no. would we get the elder and then that was it. So I mean to have those guys back together in uh you know as a cohesive unit, that would have been cool, guys. That would have been
2: cool. That's what's fun about doing with the Bruce band. We do little Caesar in our show.
1: And oh, getting yeah. to hear the
2: the Eric song is like, you know, no one no one ever thought they would ever hear that song live. Nope. Why would they? Yeah. You know, it's like Eric's no longer with us. And I'm like, I was pretty adamant about it. I go, if we're going to do this, we have to do that. Because it's, you know, it, it's like that. I always loved that song. And I always thought, you know, Eric would sing uh, Young and Wasted or Black Diamond. It kicked ass. Like, he was just awesome on it. I was like, we need to do these songs, you know.
1: And, and uh Little Caesar is such a great song on that album. It on really my, is, yeah. In fact, I think it's a standout as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. It's one of the better it's one of the better songs on that album. I agree, absolutely.
0: Are you guys familiar with the song Eyes of Love uh, on Eric
2: Carr's Rockology? I remember that. Can't think of the top of my head, but I remember the title. Yeah,
0: yeah. Go go back and check that one out. I, I really like that song by him, and, and that's another head scratcher for me. Like when I hear that song, I'm like, I, how did that not make it on a Kiss album? Uh, because to, for me, smokes a lot of the Gene and Paul songs, uh, especially on Hot in the Shade. I would have gave Eric, if Eric Carr could have had two, he could have had Little Caesar and Eyes of Loves. Go back and check that one out. I mean, I think that's a really killer song.
2: I will. I'll do that. I'm getting in the car in a minute. I'm going to crank that one up. Beautiful.
0: <laughs> well, hey, guys, I appreciate having both of you on tonight. Uh, why doesn't everybody yeah. give a shameless plug to their show, radio show, podcast? Go right around the, the horn, guys. Mojo. Give us a plug. Give your show
1: a plug. Hey, it's Mojo Moomy from Mojo Rocks on KSOIFM.com and DailyBoomRadio.com. Nice. Todd. nice.
2: Now, I'm Todd Kearns. I'm Todd Kearns on all social media except for Twitter. I am Todd Dannett Kearns <laughs> with my offensive middle name. And then I have a uh, Took, The band Took has a, a chat show on Tuesdays, Took, Tuesdays at 2 uh, talking to a lot of awesome old school Canadian rockers uh, this upcoming Tuesday. Well, we just did a Helix <laughs> and then uh, so the Killer Swarfs. So we've had a lot of amazing fun every Tuesday. We do that on Facebook Live, and then I do my own talk show on Thursdays. Todd, Todd Danikurns talks to, and I've talked to like all my friends from Ace Frehley's band, and uh, just basically anybody who will will talk to me. Basically, I, I try and talk to so. Uh, You can find me on there as well.
0: Awesome guys! I'll put the links down in the video's description. Love talking with you both. Have a great night. You got you as well, man. Take care. Take care. Bye guys. Okay, so we put it out there on Twitter. We wanted your questions, your comments, your thoughts. And now we're gonna start airing them on the 80s Glam Metalcast. First in comes from Smike T. Okay. And this is what this is what Smike says. Always loved the first two Quiet Riot albums and really had high hopes for QR3. They went glam, they didn't have to, and the rest is history. What could have been if this was a solid third hard rock album? Well, here's my thoughts. Um In 1986, I think a glam image, not talking about sound, but an image for Quiet Riot was absolutely necessary uh we got to think back to the balding kevin DeBro. he's got the striped suits and the stars i don't think he would have fit in in the for the look of 1986 um i don't really know if they had a chance uh were people sick of them they did back-to-back albums uh one year right after another and i think condition critical was basically a, a misstep it was kind of a uninspired album that was very similar to the one before it um, just trying to cash in on, on the success. So, uh, you know, some metal bands that started off early in the decade, like uh, Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister, they really started to fall short in the later half of the decade. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if some bands, fame and success, just, you know, can't handle it. I don't know. Uh, let's also point out that DeBro was very cocky at this point. And I think his attitude that he was putting out there kind of hurt the band. Uh, QR3 does have some tunes that I actually like. I think the first three are the best. Uh, I love Wild and the Young and I and I went back and I watched the videos and I think they're good singles. They're good videos. Um, the rest of the songs, I gotta admit, I feel are kind of like throwaways. They're not that great. And I think even looking back at those videos and those singles, uh, and even some of the other songs, there's just way too much synth. Every song has like a little element of synth in it, and I don't think that really went over that great. Um, I don't think it had to be like Metal Health, whatever they were going to do, uh, but it needed to be good, right? Uh, probably needed to follow a Motley Crue-type formula. That's what a lot of bands were doing, and it was working at that point, um, but I don't really know. Uh, maybe if these songs had a little bit more of an edge were a little bit heavier, Maybe they would have been a little bit more successful. Uh, it's a shame because, you know, these guys, uh, you know, rest in peace, uh, Frankie and Kevin, are talented. Ta- we're a very talented band. Should have went on to super, super stardom with many hit albums, but it just didn't work that way. So um, that's a great question. It's it's one that, you know, uh, people always look back on. What happened? How did this band uh, that was so big in 1983 fall so far uh by the time it was 1986 so who knows maybe a heavier album uh would have been the right choice we'll never know but well, thanks mike i thank you for the question well what an episode thanks so much for todd and mojo for joining me on this one and if you want to ask a question or have a comment talked about on the 80s glam metal cast email me at 80 sglammetal one at gmail.com Coming up, the next episode is going to be with Rayan from the country band, Early Ray. So the 80s glam metal cast is going country. Uh, it's going to be a good conversation. We'll see how it all ties into glam metal and hair metal. Talk to you next time. Rock on!